Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, Blazers fans. Welcome to the Blazer Focus Podcast, brought to you by Bymark and Fred Meyer. I am Aaron Fentress of the Oregonian, along with Joe Freeman, also of the Oregonian. And we're going to talk, of course, about the Blazers. The first topic we're going to talk about, I'm going to give you a list first before we dive into it. The first one's going to be about how this team is finding moral victories and barely losing to yet another winning team. They are now 2-5 and five in their last seven games with four blowout losses to winning teams and then the close 116-115 loss to Boston on Tuesday night. We're going to talk about that also. We saw some good Nurkic. We saw the Bosnian beast starting to emerge from his lair, looking like he's going to try and do some damage the rest of the way. But can he get his minutes up from 25 per game into 30-minute range? That would really help this team out. Also, the defense still bad. Will it ever be good? I want to dive into the personnel and why I think it's more personnel than Stotts. I don't want to get too, like I don't think we're going to debate the Stotts versus personnel thing, but I'm just going to show you based on analytic sites that the personnel is bad defensively. Last but not least, all of this losing and losing badly to good teams and Lillard getting shut down by some of these good teams. Is he killing his chances at winning the MVP? That will be our final topic. But first, Joe, last night, Boston lost. Jason Tatum nails a three with 7.8 left. Give the Celtics a four-point lead. Blazers can't recover. Celtics win 116-115. But after the game, this was the least upset I've seen a team uh, be in the postgame. Stotts, Lillard, Carmelo all put a positive spin on it, talked about progress. They didn't get blown out. They changed some things on offense. They had 31 assists, which was a team high. They felt good about themselves, all things considered. Yes, they didn't like the fact that they lost, but still, I thought they were relying a lot on some moral victories in that game. What did you think about their performance and about their attitude following the loss? Well, before we get too deep in that, let me be the first to publicly congratulate you for getting your second COVID shot oh, today. I, sh- yes, I shall give you a golf claps there. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate I'm, it. You've I'm, had one, right? I've had one, so I'm one behind you. I'm, I'm getting there. We'll, we'll be there in a couple of weeks, but uh, we congratulations. Out. Yeah, we can, hang out. <laughs> we can do an in-person live video cast. Live so from Biomart and or Fred yeah. Meyer. Yeah, I'll have a glass of CJ's wine, and you could have a... A, a juice box. A, a Coke, yeah, or whatever <laughs> it is you drink. Uh, look, I think, you know, when we uh, when we did this last, Aaron, a couple weeks ago, I, I sort of, I, I believe I said that I kind of expected the Blazers to kind of, you know, uh, have a few growing pains to, to deal with some rough waters here as they work CJ McCollum back, as they work Nurkic back, as they kind of learn to play uh, with Norman Powell, who, who they just acquired. But this is not what I expected. And no, no, no. I, you, can roll, you can't. 
starters with five minutes to go. <laughs> you can't just get rolled by good teams night in and night no. out. And it's one thing to be one and eight versus teams above you in the West and seven and 16 versus winning teams overall. It's another thing to give up a 47 point first quarter to the Clippers to get outscored 40 to 19 and in a do or die third against the jazz and just to get run out of the gym against these teams was, was it was concerning. And, you know, you, I've been pretty bullish on this team. I think uh, hard headedly. So all season and you just, I just keep waiting for them to turn the corner and it's just not happening. And, and they're running out of time. I think they have 18 games left, right? Correct. 14 against winning teams. And that's not including San Antonio who, uh, you know, their Spurs are right there at 500. So that conceivably could be, you know, 16 of 18. And um, yeah, it's something has to change and something has to change fast. Now, that said, I guess if you're scraping for moral victories in April, then, uh, you know, Tuesday night's performance against the Celtics was a good sign. They didn't get steamrolled. Um, and it was a rare instance when they didn't deliver in the clutch because, before Jason Tatum hit that ludicrous shot that you mentioned, <laughs> Dame kind of missed a quick pull-up uh, mid-range shot there. I think they were going for a two-for-one late in the game, and, right. and rather than draw something up and get a good look, he kind of just shot something quick, and so that was a rare fail for him. So, you know, the secret sauce that they've used, you know, keeping games close and winning late didn't come through. But um, as we'll talk about later, it was nice to see Nurkic kind of have a resurgent performance or at least – you know, show signs that that he might uh, awake from his slumber. And I think they played better in spurts on defense. They played better generally team basketball overall, as you mentioned, the 31 assists. But I got to see more than a close loss against a good team before I, I can, you know, get behind this team right now. So when they came back from the road trip where they beat Miami without Jimmy Butler and without Oladipo, Oladipo did not play in Portland either. And, and Goran Dragic was out in that game. So they beat Miami, beat Orlando, beat Toronto, beat Detroit. You know, Miami wouldn't be a playoff team without Butler and Dragic. Orlando, Toronto, Detroit, not playoff teams this year. Uh, there were a couple of people telling me, oh, they're looking pretty good. They just won four in a row. They're 11 games over 500. And I said, get back to me in two weeks. <laughs> it's been two weeks. The reason why I said that is because yeah, I saw Milwaukee, Clippers, Utah, Miami, and Boston coming up. I didn't think they lose all five of them. <laughs> But as I told you, I thought from the, from that point on, Milwaukee on, I thought they were going to be under 500. Right now, they're two and five. But yeah, it's the way they're losing. They weren't even in those games. Even the Miami game, they lost by uh, not uh, nine. They were down 20 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when they pulled everybody. And so Simons, Giles, Nasir Little got them to within nine. So it wasn't the starter. So they have been rocked four times and did not look good on defense, did not look good on, good on offense. Teams are trapping Lillard. They're blitzing Lillard. They're, they're definitely trying to say, we don't want Lillard to beat us. The rest of the team is not necessarily responding when that happens. So what I will say from the Boston game is that we did see a shift a little bit. They were, they were, play, they were well, Stotts wouldn't, and I don't have the numbers on this. It seemed like they were running less straight up pick and roll. They definitely were running Dame off screens and even having him set screens. They were trying to figure out different ways to move the ball around and get shots rather than have Dame or CJ go one-on-one a lot like sometimes they like to do or just jack up, you know, threes, et cetera, et cetera. And they produced 31 assists. 
Now, if they can continue to play like that, oh, and also Nurkic, who we will get to, had seven of those assists, which I thought was mm-hmm. fascinating because he was being a facilitator, a big man getting the ball, and then you have Powell, CJ, and Dame running around, and even Covington. You can find those guys for good shots. Uh, so I thought offensively they showed a different look, which was good. And Dame talked about how they've played that way in the past before, so it wasn't necessarily new for them. So we'll see if they can continue to do that because it makes it tougher to, da- to double-team uh, Damian Lillard. Defensively, I thought it was the same old thing. Like, I still think they're always going to have trouble against guys with length. Jason Tatum, 6'8". Brown, 6'6". Six, six. One of the three guards is going to be on those two guys. It's just math, right? So what, what, what do you do with that matchup? You get towards. <laughs> it's just <laughs> inevitable. Um, so there were positives, but still, they lost. And they lost to a team that's barely above 500. Boss is not that great. They're not 38 and 18, they're 28 and 26. So to me, it's still a major red flag. And I see a lot more losses coming because I just think they have too many issues on defense and size issues that are going to hold them back against good teams. And most of these good teams have great length. Yeah. And, you know, as, as I mentioned, it's, and as you mentioned, it's concerning the way that they've lost by just not even being close in some of these games. But even more than that, uh, it was uh, eye-raising to hear some of their comments after some of these losses, to hear Damian Lillard say that the team needed to look itself in the mirror, and Nurkic essentially saying they needed to hold each other accountable. We are, this is a stretch run, and we're still hearing, uh, you know, key players say that about the team and that I think is most concerning of all that at this stage of the game that they're still here and and that they find themselves in this position. Now, you know, some of it, I guess, could be explained away from all their injuries, obviously missing CJ and Nurkic for the majority of the season has, you know, had huge ramifications. So it would be unfair not to, to point that out, but the reality is that that's where the team is. And, um, when you have guys saying those types of things at this stage of the season, it's uh, it's worrisome. It's quite, I agree. It, I agree. Let me tell you a quick story. When I, when I covered Portland State basketball a long time ago, they had to win a certain amount of games to get into the Big Sky Tournament, and they had like three home games against beatable teams, and they just got smoked. And mm-hmm. after every game, every player I talked to was like, oh, we just didn't have the urgency. We just we had to play with the – I'm like – how can you say this every night? What is your problem? What else do you have to do tonight? How are you not? You know you have to beat Idaho State. What else is on your mind that you didn't bring the urgency? And so and you see that with teams sometimes when you cover them and they say this. Oh, it's one thing to have that happen every once in a while. But over and over and over and over and over, like these are professional basketball players. If they can't hold each other accountable or themselves accountable, I don't know what Stotts can do because he can't just start yanking and benching guys because you'd have benched CJ or Dame for not – hustling on defense, well, then who are you going to play? Simons, who's got the worst defensive rating on the team? Like, what are you going to do if your thoughts, if the players aren't buying into giving 100% and and insisting on being on the same page and holding each other accountable? Nurkic even said, maybe we need to cuss each other out every once in a while or something. And I'm like, yeah, maybe you do. Maybe someone needs to get, get in someone's face and say, what the bleep are you doing? That's your guy. You're supposed to rotate over there. We've only gone over this 150 times. It's April. Like maybe they need to do some of that to get off of this run of, oh, we're just not, we're just not. No, that, that excuse is over. It's April and you're getting smoked. And if you're not fixing that now, I'm supposed to believe you're going to fix it in the playoffs when a team can zero in on all your weaknesses 
for two weeks and just dissect you? No, they're going to get swept or four one. So I'm just tired of hearing it. I roll every time someone says it, I roll my eyes. I'm like, oh, <laughs> again. so I'm with you on that 100. percent And you know, I think obviously uh, one of the key figures in all of this Blazers' success against good teams or bad teams, their defense, uh, their play overall is the not only the play but the availability mm. of Yusuf Nurkic and. You know, I, I think we should probably shift a little bit just towards him. And, sure. you know, I, I guess maybe what could be explained for some of the Blazers' optimism after last night's game was not only uh, finally a resurgent performance from Carmelo Anthony, but yeah. was that was Yusuf Nurkic kind of started to look like the guy that I think we, we all thought he could be. And so, you know, I, I guess I wonder, you know, how, how do you view where he's at and, and how did you view what you saw last night? Well, he said the other night that, um, you know, he's on this minutes restriction. He's working his way back, but maybe he needs to start being more aggressive offensively to to sort of add to the offensive arsenal. And he didn't shoot a lot in this game. He only shot four times, but he shot. But he made four of them and he had a, a really vicious dunk where he just took it aggressively. So I like the aggressiveness, nine rebounds. I love the seven assists because that shows, okay, he's getting the ball. He's looking for other guys. He's not trying to be selfish offensively. He's trying to make plays. So in 26 minutes, he's on a 25-minute restriction right now. He was on 20. If they can get those types of performances from him, he also had three steals over the, over 34, 35 minutes like most marquee centers would give you, I think you're on to something that could actually change the entire dynamic of the team. The problem is he's never played those kind of minutes. He's always been a 29, 30 kind of guy. Um, that would be better than 26, but I almost feel like this team needs him to be playing more 34, 35 in that area to really take advantage of what he brings. What do you think? I'd like to see him get to 30. And at this point, my man, you know, between the wrist and the knee and the calf and, you know, just coming back <laughs> from his leg, he's got so many ailments. And I know. And- you start to wonder, is he ever going to be healthy again? And and it's a little unfair because the wrist thing was such a fluke, you know, play that you can watch the video 12 times and you still don't know how he broke his wrist. Right, right. But it's, he is at this point, the single biggest, you know, figure in, in separating whether this team can, can accomplish what it, it, it set out to do, or if it's going to flame out with another first round loss. It's, it's as plain and simple as that. I, a healthy Yusuf Nurkic is, I don't want to say everything to this team, but pretty close to it. They are built around Dame and CJ and Nurkic, that big three. And then they had this depth and versatility around them to kind of get through this COVID uh, season and, you know, have dim- different dimensions at guys. And when you don't have, you know, the, the most dynamic of the big three, the only interior presence, the, the defensive force, um, I think we're seeing what this team misses without him, and it was encouraging. You know, he he had, he was he had some nice passing and playmaking. He had that nice driving dunk that you said where he got fouled. Um, he's mixing it up a little bit. He's getting chippy, Nurkic talking to officials, talking to you know opponents, and so it was good to see that. And um, I do like that he did a little bit of everything: eight points, nine rebounds, seven assists, three steals. But the number I like most is twenty six, which was that twenty six yep. minutes played. We need to see that get bumped up. We need to see him play consecutive games. Uh, and until that happens, I just don't know that we're at any point going to get 
back to our original topic of, of if this team can turn the corner, because, you know, as we've talked about so much, he just means he means so much to this team. Exactly. Now, one note in the whole race part of this thing and how important he's going to be in, in if they turn things around in, in the race and the playoffs, Jamal Murray is out for the season with an ACL for Denver. They're in fourth place right now. We'll see how much that hurts them. I imagine it's definitely not going to not hurt them, Man. right? I still feel like Dallas is, is coming up, and, I, and uh, Memphis is playing better too. So Portland has to, like, with all these winning teams they're playing, they have to win some of these games or they are going to fall into the play-in. It's, it's inevitable because, as I've said before, Dallas' schedule is really easy the rest of the way. We'll see what Denver losing Murray means. Maybe that saves Portland from falling into seventh or eighth. But to me – Nurkic getting up to 30, maybe 30 plus minutes, being a 17 and nine and five guy and a couple blocks and rim protecting is the only, it's the only thing left that they can say, well, we're still waiting for this. Like mm-hmm. we're waiting for this thing. <laughs> Everything else, you know, CJ's been back now for a few weeks, you know, and he and Dane together. As a matter of fact, he and Dane together in the starting lineup, I think they have a losing record, right? Oh, no, I, I take that back because they went four in a row, but their record's not that great because I think they were eight and five when he went out. Um, but, you know, CJ is CJ. Powell has been around now for a couple of weeks. Yes, I mean, they can get more synergy. But still, the, the one thing that still remains is Nurkic. I think he's the key to keeping them out of the playing round. And they uh, do. There's a couple of <clears throat> things that they need to do, too. When Nurkic comes back and, and you, he kind of gets to that 30-minute limit, you still have the Cantor uh, mellow problem and the bench defense problem. That's a problem. good point. So, yeah. And and there seemed to be uh, a little bit of a wrinkle. I mean, Stotts pulled Nurkic earlier in his shift to, and put Cantor in, which kind of limited some of that that Cantor uh, mellow minutes. And so there's some things that you can do here and there, but the problems do go deeper. But again, Nurkic is the biggest kind of you know tipping. Or, or building block for that thing. And so um, I total, totally agree with you. That's that's the last thing that they can say and, and the last thing standing in their way uh, with 18 games left. Right. And the other part of the Nurkic, or excuse me, the Cantor and Mello situation is that for the month of April before last night, <clears throat> Mello was shooting 28%. He was Whew. in a complete funk. And so if he's going out there with Cantor and they're both playing bad defense together and Mello can't shoot, and put the ball in the basket, then he's not mitigating some of his defensive problems, which is, which is something Stotts pointed to. Why do you think uh, Cantor's getting 30 rebounds there? Somebody's got to miss shots <laughs> for him to get those rebounds. He got 12 rebound, offensive rebounds that night when he got 30. And it's like, well, in part because they couldn't. Well, actually, that game, they actually shot well. That was Detroit. So, yeah. yeah. But still. You are listening to the Blazer Focus Podcast. We'll be right back after a short break. Okay, so moving on. Okay, I'm about to go full nerd right here. So there's a lot of talk about the defense, obviously, all season. And there's a lot of people out there who blame Stotts, say he's not a good defensive coach. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. I know they had a top 10 defense in 2019. Last year, I'm not really going to fault anything on the defense last year. You lost your two best big man defenders in Nurkic and Zach Collins. Whiteside had a nice statistical year, but as I didn't watch him as closely as you did, but as you pointed out to me, he is a defensive liability because he makes so many mistakes that totally dilute the fact that he can block shots, right? And which is why he's a, a league minimum player right now, despite his career numbers. I mean, that's that's pretty telling. Um, but anyway, 
there's a there's a, a rating site called 538 Sports. You can use that. You can use NBA.com. There's other ones as, as well. They pretty much correlate with each other. You can take some of this with a grain of salt all you want. But as you can see, it shows their overall Raptor score. The Raptor score is basically each player's basically analytic score for offensive defense, and then you have the total. So <clears throat> if you look at each team's Raptor scores, and then you look at the ratings in the league, they they correlate. So the top defensive teams with top defensive ratings, they have the most players that you would see in blue here as plus defensive players and vice versa with the worst defensive team. So here's the Blazers, 29th ranked. And as you can see of their, of their core players, they have six players in the minus from 1.4 for Powell on down to 5.1 for Simons. And you see Lillard's in there at 3.8. Lillard at, for a long, much of the season was over five. So he's gotten better. Not on there is Trent because he got traded for Powell. He's a, two, a minus 2.5. So all this talk about Trent being great defender, all this kind of stuff, according to analytics, that not necessarily so great and not better than McCollum. I, I've always found it fascinating all season that McCollum has been right around zero and plus 0.1. But if you look at this, you cannot tell me how you can produce a good defense with this, this group of guys. Your backcourt, when you had Trent playing for McCollum, that's a minus 2.4 swing from McCollum to Trent in those minutes. And then you're playing Simons in place of Trent for the backup guard minutes, and look at Simons. Then you look at Lillard. That's four guys. That's, that's three guys, Trent, Simons, and Lillard, who as of now, they were worse then. At one point, Simons was a minus six as well. But that's a combined minus 10 in your backcourt. <laughs> and then you had Cantor playing for Nurkic, who missed 33 games, 32 during the, the, the wrist being broke. I'm trying to lean here to see this. Candace a minus 2.4. You'd see Nurkic at, at plus 3.9. So it's not just that you lose a plus 3.9. It's that then you're going to a guy who's a minus 2.4. That's a 6.1 swing. So how are you going to have a good defense with minus players on defense on the perimeter, and then your center is a minus player? I don't care who you are coaching that team. How are you supposed to produce a really good defense? Now, you see Covington and Jones are plus defenders. Thank God they signed those two guys. Right? <laughs> because where would they be? They'd be starting Mellow at a minus 0.2. Hood was a minus 1.4. They'd have all minuses in the starting lineup with Nurkic out and McCullum out had they not signed Covington and Jones. So now, let's look at – okay, yeah, Utah. Utah. So Utah, Utah is fourth in defense. Okay, and you see all the pluses there? You see all the guys? Gobert, a 7.6. So Gobert versus let me, let me Let me pause real quick Go ahead. right here. Go ahead. And this is when I look <clears> at this and I see the Blazers, two things come to mind. At the top here, you have Rudy Gobert, who, A, is, is a perennial first-team all-defensive guy and an all-league center. But they have also had Rudy Gobert all season. And the statistics – are impacted by when you have your best defensive players for all season. And so, you know, everybody, the overall ratings are correct. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Not individual players. Right. The team ratings. Right. Right. So with, with Gobert doing what he does, he obviously makes everybody else better. And I'm not suggesting that Nurkic is as good defensively as Gobert because he's not, but he is a very, he's a plus defender and he is the anchor of the Blazers defense. Right. They haven't had him all season. So right. that's what's going to make their numbers be even worse than they might normally be. And so that is the difference from them being 29th <coughs> in the league in defense and say 13th. 13th? Maybe not that high. Maybe okay. not that high. <laughs> I should say I was being up. We'll say 15 to 17. But even if they're 15 to 17, that's, hey, Take 
Yeah, you would, you would take like, that. That's right. probably five wins. I mean, right. I don't know. That's it's it's a few wins, and so that is is you see all this green for people watching on the video right here with this is a byproduct of a healthy team with a healthy Gobert, and you see all that pink that we saw before, all the red somewhat of a byproduct of not having your your best interior defender. Sorry for interrupting. Go no, ahead. no, you're 100% right. That's why I was making the point. I mean, you go from Nurkic to Cantor, that's a huge drop-off from a plus mm-hmm. four guy to a minus two and a half guy. I mean, that's huge because yeah. he's not able yeah. to back up those guys or really be a plus defender against other teams' good bigs. And so that only hurts the fact that you already have a weak perimeter defense as it is. But you look at Mike Conley as a plus 3.9. On defense, that I mean, and the Lillard's a minus three point whatever, so that's a seven point swing from their point guard to the Blazers' point guard on defense. And you look at everybody else, even when you get down to Ingles and Clarkson, even uh, Bogdanovich is a, only a minus one point eight, which would make him like what the fifth best defender on the Blazers. Mitchell's a minus two point one; he needs to get his act together. But he's the only real, I mean, there's only two really weak links in that defense, and they're anchored by you know the best defensive big man in the league. But there's a correlation there where, you know, you can't tell me that the personnel with the Blazers and the injuries have not impacted this team defensively. Okay, so let's move on to the next one. So I just went Miami sixth in defensive rating. You see a little less blue than Utah. But again, you, you don't see a dramatic – look at the bottom, 0. 0.7, 0. 0.9. You're not seeing three-point whatever, a five-point whatever, a two-point whatever. You're seeing – not even a full minus 0.1 defensive ratings. And then you see their anchor Butler's a 3.1. Bam's a plus 2.2. They're just better balanced out defensively. So now they're a sixth. So now let's go to the middle of the pack. Let's go to Dallas. So here's the Dallas Mavericks. They are 15th defensive rating. So now you see someone like a Redick. He's coming off the bench at a minus 2.2. You see Luka Doncic is a negative defender, but he's a minus 1.4, not a minus 4 or minus 5. And then you go on up and you still have some balance in blue at the top. So you're not getting guys out there who are just killing you. They're not great. They're average. And guess what? They're ranked 15th in defensive rating, which is average. So now let's look at some teams that are down there with the Blazers in the bottom three or four in the league, starting with the Minnesota Timberwolves, who I think are last. Look at all that red at the bottom. Now, D'Angelo Russell's out for the season with a minus 4.2. Anthony Red Edwards, who's probably going to be rookie of the year with LaMelo Ball hurt, is a minus 3.5. He's, he's, he's even a minus offensively. You see Beasley stars two, minus 2.2. And then they don't really have much of anchor at the top. They just got some guys that, you know, aren't really household names or impact players who are in the pluses. Their, their star, Carl Anthony Towns, is a slightly negative defender. But you can see this looks closer to what the Blazers are. No one's running around saying the T-Wolves should be a great defense, right? By no, the way, how about my man Anthony Edwards not knowing who A-Rod is and admitting it publicly when that guy's about to be your owner? You know what, though? I don't blame him. He's 19. Why would he know who A-Rod is? Well, don't you know history of sports? I could name some guy that didn't play not if you, you didn't know, played 30 sport. years ago. Not if you don't follow that sport. You, you and I, But you and I could because we're 40 and 50 and we're, we cover this stuff for a living. Yeah. He didn't grow up Come caring on. about baseball. I'm giving the benefit of the doubt. Okay. Anyway. And, then, and then our last one is the Kings. And I like this one because the, the Kings are really good at the guard position with Fox, De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, and Buddy Heald, who are really good offensively. But, oh, look at their defensive numbers. Minus 2.3, minus 2.4, minus 2.9 for that trio. They don't really have an anchor. Whiteside is playing a plus 0.2 this year, which you know is probably better than it was last year with the Blazers. 
But they don't, you know, their best defender is DeLon Wright, two plus. And so their best players that start, Bagley, Heald, Halliburton, and Fox, and Glenn Glenn Robinson plays a lot. They're all negative defenders. Would you, is anyone running around saying that the Sacramento Kings have no excuse to be a bad defense? I've never heard anyone say that, but they have the same player situation that the Blazers have. Now, Lillard, a lot of people never want to talk about Lillard's defense. And Lillard has been better as of late in terms of seasons. And I'm actually, I actually believe that one of the reasons why he's down off defensively this year is because he has been fighting injuries the entire season. First, it was that rib thing. Remember that rib, that rib cartilage thing he, he got, which limited his movement, caused him to miss the Philly game. And then the guy gets knee to knee contact like every other game. Dwight, Dwight James last night asked him, it was, I, I just, I laughed out loud when he said, he's like, I don't know if there's a stat for the most need situations in a season, but you would have to be close to the record. And I counted, I think, seven or eight times he's banged knees this season. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that his body has been really banged up this season. So that's going to impact you defensively chasing around other small guards. But the bottom line is your best player is a severe negative defensive player. Out of For, for players who've played over 800 minutes, he ranks next to last. For players who have played 500 minutes, I think it was like 299 players who have played over 500 minutes. He ranks like 297th in defensive rating. So if you're and he's played, he's played almost all season without Nurkic. Without right, and, 100%, 100%. and if you you go you go back, and we're not going to go back, but back if one thing that you didn't point out on the Utah uh, breakdown was the person who was listed last. I believe it was a minus 3.8 or a minus 2.8 was Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, I and mentioned. So, it. I mentioned it. And, Oh, you okay, so <laughs> so you, but you can still see a team can work around, you know, a superstar who is not a, a definitive two way player. Right. If, if the because rest of the that team, superstar right. gives you so much, right? right. And so, but you can't do that if you don't have your don't, exactly your Robin, and then you don't have you know your Incredible Hulk or whatever. Right. <laughs> uh, he's not in the Batman universe, but whatever. Let's mix metaphors <laughs> here for for uh, superhero movies. Point 100%. is. You don't have Nurkic, you know, what are you going to do? Because you're, as you pointed out, you're replacing him with Cantor, who for all he's given you is not giving you what you need on that end. Right. And, the, you know, the, you give a little, little bit of break. He was minus 1.8 last year. The year before that, he was a minus 0.8 in 2017-18. Uh, basically, his breakout year, he was a, a minus 0.1. So he's been a lot better. That's why I give him the benefit of the doubt on the injury front. But anyway, my point is, People can say all they want about strategy and what they could do differently and mixing up coverages and all that kind of stuff. And uh, Powell talked about how at Toronto, everyone bought into defense. It was something that they really cared about. And they did do a lot of different um, schemes. They employed a lot of different schemes. But the fact that he talked about everyone's bought in, we can't believe that everyone on this team has bought in because they're always talking about how they're trying to get on the same page. Right. Well, not only that, he didn't mention that they had one of the game's best defensive players in Kawhi Leonard, too. Like, again, back to well, the but personnel even, issue. Well, yeah, in 2019, but even last year they were top five. But Toronto right. was. But, and right. even before, the year before Toronto got Kawhi, they were top five. This year, for all the problems they've had, they're 12. Mm-hmm. You know, so I do think the attitude of the team and the players and everyone committing to it. And then you have to have the ability. I mean, let's face it. CJ is not a super athletic, quick big guy. And he's going to be matched up against who most of the time? Bigger, stronger two guards, just mm-hmm. like with Jalen Brown. So 
the fact that he's improved defensively as much as he had, he's only a, a let's say plus point one. I think it's a testament to his, his commitment to probably playing better defense. But I don't know if they're getting that from everyone else. And then you factor in, like you've talked about and I've talked about, losing your anchor, Nurkic, for 33 games, replacing him with a negative defender in Cantor. And then just, you know, then you, you know, Trent was a negative defender. Simon's a negative defender. Carmelo's a negative defender. All that adds up to a situation where, I'm sorry, you're not going to be a good defensive team. And I don't want to hear about Covington and Jones. Covington and Jones are good. They're not, they're not turn the defense around guys. If they were, they're pieces. They're pieces, they're pieces of the to puzzle. a good puzzle, and, and exactly. They're, they're strong, but yeah. they're strong, but yeah. they're not. Yeah. Okay, we're we're coming in here. And ch- they're not like to to make a, a football analogy. They're not like adding, you know, Ray Lewis or Brian Urlacher to the middle of your defense. He can change your entire defense. Or when Seattle added uh, Adams at safety, so guys like that. They're not that kind of guy. They're a good linebacker who's you know a 75-80 rating who's going to help your defense get better, but not going to change your last place defense and make them great. They're just not that. Um, so anyway, if we're going to mix steal. football metaphors in here, we at least got to get some Florida State. Let's go Derek Brooks here. Get, Derek, me yeah, a, I met Derek Brooks, by the way. Um, good guy, yeah. Yeah, he was, he was awesome. So anyway, that's just my little spiel on this because I just I, – I, again, I'm not saying Stotts is a great defensive coach. I don't – I haven't covered him enough to, to make that assessment, but I do know that they do not have great defensive personnel as compared to the top defenses in the NBA based on analytics. All right. I think we've exhausted another defensive conversation. So we shall move on (laughs) to uh, you you had mentioned Dame uh, at length there and that. And, you know, he continues to uh, draw attention in the MVP chase. Uh, At some point this year, he was drawing attention way, way too early. But here we are now with about a month or so left in the season. and, And it's time to, you know, legitimately check in there. And I guess you know, with him in the thick of the race most of the season, you know, always the chatter and the debate about him, with everything going on with the Blazers, where they're at against teams, where they're at defensively, where they're at plummeting in the standings, is this hurting his MVP chances? Oh, I think it definitely is, especially if if Jokic continues doing what he's doing and without Jamal Murray, if they're able to stay in the top four. Uh, we'll see when the Lakers get – LeBron and Davis back. I think when both the wait, they're not. Yeah, neither one's back. Uh, Durant came back. That's right. Um, if both those guys come back, I think the Lakers will make a run to get into the top four. I think they want home court advantage probably in the first round. But we'll see what 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 Denver can do. I still think Luka Doncic, if he can get his his team to keep climbing, I think he's going to be a threat. Um, and then we'll see what happens with Embiid. He's back. He missed a lot of time though, so it's still there for Lillard. But you know, the month of April has not been kind to him. And the month of April started with the Milwaukee game. He's shooting 38.5% from the field, averaging only 21 points. When on the season, I think he's averaging 29. He was at 30 at one point. So he's having a really bad month. He did have 28 against Boston, though. Uh, Nine of 23 shooting, though, however. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think there's no doubt. If he continues this way for the month of April and they keep losing to good teams, if I'm an MVP voter, I'm like, okay. So Lillard looked like an MVP when they played the weak teams. Um, he, he carried that team with CJ out. They went 14 and 10, which was – 14 and 11, which was awesome. They didn't have Nurkic either. But now Nurkic is back and McCollum is back. His numbers are coming way down. Teams are trapping him, taking him out of games. He's he's not able to combat that, which isn't all his fault. And he's shooting poorly. Uh, how do I vote him MVP over someone else who has better numbers and continues to win? I just don't see how he is not hurting himself or the team is it's probably the team's fault as well, but that he's not being hurt right now in terms of the MVP race. 
Yeah, a couple things. I have always <laughs> yeah. maintained. Yeah, fans, just a couple things. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I've always maintained that uh, an MVP should be tied to his team's success in large part. And so if the Blazers fall down to seventh or eighth in the West, then uh, it's going to be a hard, it's going to be a hard sell for him to be an MVP. Um, and, and he also, I should say to, to the point that he's, he's dipped a little bit. We are approaching that point where I think what you're going to see Aaron is Dame kind of go from here to here. I think he's on the verge of kind of, clicking back into into day mode and so i would keep an eye out for that for some some big games coming forward now unless teams do the miami you know take him completely out of the game then what are you going to do in that situation but so so that'll be interesting to see how how he kind of responds to that um but there are a couple things in his favor uh on the Denver front, you know what happens now that Jamal Murray is, is out which by the way just brutal because yeah. not only is it a brutal injury for them, and I know Blazers fans for some reason hate Denver. Maybe it's the division thing or whatever, but fun team to watch, just done. And he's not only done this year, he's going to miss almost all of next year yeah. because of the COVID schedule. And it's just, man, you hate to, you hate to see that. Um, but back on point, it's, it's, it's how does no Jokic respond if, if he maintains Denver where it is without Murray and he continues to produce otherworldly stats or even ramps up his production, boy, it's going to be hard to, to overlook him. You've got Embiid there, uh, you know, in the mix. But one thing that is working in Dame's favor is, is if Jokic tapers off and Denver falls back because, you know, Murray of the Murray injury, that combined with all these other guys who are kind of in the mix, have missed a lot of games. Yeah. Have either sat out for load management or, you know, been hurt like uh Anthony Davis and LeBron, which obviously knocks them down. So, you know, by not default, but just by a, a confluence of events, then, you know, that elevates him up. And so I still think he's right there. It's all on his team right now to decide how they're gonna play, you know, over these last 18 games. If they go on a run and play well. He's right in the thick of things. If it's going the way it's been going the last couple of weeks, then he's going to fall further back, plain and simple. Yeah, I think of the players still involved, I think we're going to see one or two guys just have like a two- or three-week stretch where they just go bananas. Mm-hmm. And then everyone's like, okay, that's the guy. And it could be Damien. <laughs> and it could absolutely be Damien, 100%. Yeah. And so- let, let me ask you this. You covered this team for a long time. They haven't won a championship since 77. doesn't look like they're going to be champions this year. Last MVP was Walton, 78. Drexler finished second in 92. Uh, how huge would it be for the, the sports landscape in this town, in this state, even outside of the NBA, hardcore fans, for Damian Lillard to win an MVP in, this, in a league where this, the marquee stars control the league, they change teams, they hook up with their boys. You know what I mean? They're usually, other than Curry, usually the MVPs are, you know, Superhuman guys, six six to six ten and eleven seven foot. They have a six foot two guard out of Weber State come to Portland, commit to Portland, sign an extension to stay in Portland, and win MVP. How huge would that be? Well, I think it would be uh, important for for a couple reasons. One, to your point, it, it would 
reinforce the idea that you don't need to leave any market and go sync up with other stars to accomplish all the individual things that you want to accomplish, right? It, it would reinforce that you uh, you can be your own man and establish your own you know identity and brand and all that stuff where you where you are and and where you were kind of uh, raised so to speak mm -hmm. um and and also i think it would be uh important for the whole loyalty you know narrative that this is a guy who has stayed loyal to portland who remains loyal to portland who says he if it were up to him he would retire uh, you know a blazers player he wants to be the best blazer of all time we've heard other guys say that and then 6 months later leave town <laughs> and, you know, those guys didn't achieve any more individual or team success when they left town. And so, you know, it would just both reward and reinforce uh, just that school of thought that it's kind of anti 21st century or, or you know, anti new era basketball in, in the LeBron James kind of era. You don't you don't need to leave to accomplish everything you want to. And. Uh, it's a guy who for years has, who's, you know, kind of brazenly put it out there saying, yeah, I think I am an MVP and I am, should be in the conversation, which a lot of times guys are hesitant to do. So, you know, kind of for all those reasons, uh, it would, it would be huge for the franchise. It would be, uh, you know, memorable and important for him. Um, but it would also be something else for, for Blazers fans to celebrate too with, I mean, you've seen how crazy this town gets when the team is winning and and that western conference finals run a couple of year was so uh incredible you know something like that i think is just another kind of carrot for them to uh to to enjoy i would liken it to when mario to win the heisman you know oregon has flirted with a national title but hasn't gotten one mm -hmm. i don't see one on the horizon we'll see uh, if ty thompson is a real deal maybe they can get one you know with all the other talent they've recruited but for mario to get the first heisman ever was just huge from, mm -hmm. For Oregon, not ever. I mean, Oregon State has a Heisman. Um, and I think Dame getting, you know, an MVP in lieu of a championship, which may or may not ever happen, I think would be equally as huge for the Blazers franchise and for Blazer Nation. Mm -hmm. Could you imagine that? I mean, how many Lillard MVP t-shirts they would sell? <laughs> Roughly one trillion. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to add? They have uh, <clears throat> Spurs Friday, Charlotte. Um, too bad they're not playing Lamelo. I'm so bummed he got he broke his wrist. But uh, they got the two games coming up this weekend. Then they come back home. What do you think is going to happen this weekend? Is it imperative that they win two, or just at least get one? Man, you got to start with one. Uh, <laughs> you got to start with one. But it would be nice to get two with the Clippers and Denver uh, on the horizon. And then you know, looking a little further, just a huge three and four game stretch against Memphis, and it's. You know, it's the byproduct of that COVID, uh, you know, cancellation earlier in the year that they even faced them three times in four games at an important stretch. But right. um, they've been playing better. Blazers haven't. So that's uh, if you're not going to hang with those teams above you, you better beat those winning teams below you, man, or else sayonara. I mean, listen to this. So they got Spurs, Charlotte, then they come home for Clippers, Denver, Grizzlies, Grizzlies, a reprieve sort of with Indiana, who's kind of melded in. Memphis again at Memphis and then at Brooklyn at Boston at Atlanta. Holy moly. <laughs> that yeah. is wicked. I mean, that's, and then you, then you go to Cleveland, which 
you know, okay, you should win that game. But then you come home with Lakers, Spurs, Houston, Utah, Phoenix, Denver. My goodness. And you still you still think they'll be above 500 these last 25 games? Ooh, they have not two helped and my five cause. Right now. They have They're not two. helped my cause so far, man. What are they? They lost five to two seven five. or six to seven or something like that. It's yeah. Seven, it's, yeah. Man, they're killing me. They're killing me. Uh, and I don't usually care if they win or lose, but if I'm going to make predictions, I got to I gotta back it up. <laughs> you need them to step up in your favor, yeah. right? It's not looking good. Let's just say that. Let's, we'll let's leave it at that. <laughs> All right. That's it for the Blazer Focus Podcast, brought to you by Bymart and Fred Meyer. I'm Aaron Fentures. He is Joe Freeman, and we are signing off until next time. Be safe out there and go get vaccinated if you have Definitely. Chance, folks. Then you can hang out with us. Hey-o! <laughs>